First Church Charlotte. Share my screen. If you'll just give me one moment of patience, you will have it come up on your screen. All right. So we're talking about grieving the Holy Spirit, and we're reading in Ephesians chapter number four, verse number 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Notice verse number 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, full disclosure here, uh, I uh, actually uh, heard my brother-in-law, Pastor Alicio, uh, teach this, and I asked him to come on our event tonight and teach all of us, but he was unable to work it out. Uh, and so I, he told me to just teach it. Uh, I'd already heard it to teach it. So I'm giving him credit. Um, and uh, what he can do is in the future, steal some idea from me. No, we're just kidding. That's not how it works. There's nothing new under the sun. Um, but this subject of what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit. This whole chapter in the book of Ephesians is very much about the building up of the church. If you're like me, you very much want to be a part of the building up of God's body in this community. You want to be a part of what God is doing. I hope you feel that way. I'm sure you do. The whole chapter of Ephesians 4 is about how the body is strengthened, how it is built, how it is in uh, really interesting and profound ways, the gift of God to a community and through that body made up of many imperfect members, a work of spiritual progress and even divine perfection is accomplished. It's not the people who are perfect. It's the work of God that is unveiled among a community that is as perfect as God is. Uh, we cannot get that confused with the people involved. Um, and so this whole chapter deals with this subject. And when you get to this phrase, verse number 30, I put it in red on your screen, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, um, you will notice that he places this not in a broader discussion of things you ought not do or you ought to do. He does talk about those things in other passages um, of uh, other sections of Ephesians 4. When he talks about this specific subject, he places in context of the corrupting talk that comes out of our mouth. Our words, as it were, he says, our words are for building up. And we should try to adapt our words to that which suits the occasion and builds people up and gives people grace. When we fail to do that, it is, it is as though we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. 
And then just in case we don't understand what he's saying, he then lists five human emotions that all of us feel like we know, all of us feel like we understand. If we heard them used in a sentence, we would be able to follow the intent of the sentence. But all of them deal with the inner man of the heart. And all of them deal with our emotional response to our relationship with others. He lists bitterness. He lists wrath. He lists lists anger. He lists clamor. And he lists slander. All five of these human experiences are very much a part of our interaction with other people. And this is the context within the text uh, that the Apostle Paul gives to the church um, as a guide how not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So I am going to read this in a couple other a couple other translations because I believe it is very, very helpful to broaden our understanding of what Paul is saying. Here's the amplified, condensed amplified. Let no foul or polluting language, nor evil word, nor unwholesome or worthless talk ever come out of your mouth, but only such speech as is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others. You see how that can help us understand the kind of things we should be talking about as is fitting to the need and the occasion that it may be a blessing and give grace to those who hear it. I want to be a giver of grace, because if you understand this concept biblically, you know, the only way for me to receive uh, is to give. If I deny it to others, I limit my ability to receive. Let me read it. ICB translation. When you talk, do not say harmful things, but say what people need, words that will help others become stronger. Then what you say will help those who listen to you. Here's the voice translation. I like this one. Don't let even one rotten word seep out of your mouths. Instead, offer only fresh words that build up others when they need it most. That way, your good words will communicate grace to those who hear it. Now, why does this matter? Okay, so I'm about to, if the Lord will help me, um, I'm I'm about to open your understanding, perhaps, and I want you to follow along, if you will. Grieving the Holy Spirit what are what does that mean to grieve means to make sad or sorrowful it means to cause sorrow to cause pain or distressed let me take you all the way to the old testament isaiah 63 and 10 but they rebelled and grieved his holy spirit therefore he turned to be their enemy and he himself fought against them. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Um, Remember, Paul is the one who gives us the best insight into this subject, and he deals with what we say about other people and the kind of emotions we allow to take up residence in our heart concerning other people. Uh, I have always thought, um, I have been guilty of always thinking that we grieved the spirit of the Lord by what we do. In other words, when I'm not living right, I grieve the spirit of the Lord. 
Um, if I turn to sin, I grieve the spirit of the Lord. But if I am to understand the teaching of the Apostle Paul and the way he places insight in the context of understanding, if I'm to get it, I have to see uh, that when I grieve the Holy Spirit, it's not as simple as me doing something that is wrong. It has everything to do, not with what I do, but what I say. Now, I know that may be messing with you a little bit here, but stay with me. Why is grieving the Holy Spirit linked by the Apostle Paul to corrupt communication, harmful communication? You have to see this. I have to see that. See this. And here is why. Because spirits speak through lies. I'm going to explain this more in just a moment. But spirits speak through lies. This is why Satan is called, labeled, titled the father of lies. This is why the Bible talks about sinners as the deceived. You have a father of lies who is giving a narrative, a curse, a weight of lies into the people he can influence. And the deceived is the sinner who believes the lie. The most damaging thing in our lives is the lie we accept as truth. The most limiting thing in our faith is the lie we accept for truth. Lord, I pray we would see through the lies of the enemy. I pray that everyone watching would have a sense of needing to hear your voice and not be led astray by the lie. Spirits work through lies. That is how they steal and kill and destroy, through lies. When you are attacked spiritually, it is through a lie. When you are live with depression, it is through a lie. When you feel as though there's no hope, when you live with a broken soul, it's because you have believed a lie. And what happens after a person has believed a lie? Judgment, despair, even damnation begins to work in their life because they've believed a lie. Spirits work through lies. All right, next page. Satan's biggest deception. He's the father of lies. Satan's biggest deception was the idea that he sold to Eve that there was no consequence to sin. He sold her this lie, chapter three, verse number four of Genesis, you will not die. Now, this is the exact, this is an exact opposition to what the Lord had said. You see, Satan always calls the, the Lord a liar. He always stands against, resists, and battles against the truth of God. And how does he battle? With tanks and soldiers? No. He fights with lies. I want to say it again. The greatest spiritual attack, oppression, whatever you face in your life will be in the form of a lie. If you live with despair, if you live trapped in a type of brokenness and you cannot heal, you are being attacked in a lie from beginning to end. Satan attacks 
with a lie. And if we believe the lie, then the consequences of the lie work out in our heart. So Satan calls God a liar. He tells Eve, but you will not die. But the truth is still established. It doesn't matter if he believes it or not. It's still the truth. Ezekiel 18 and 4 or Romans 6 and 23. The wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18 and 4. The soul that sinneth will surely die. Or how about some Galatians 6 and 7? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, this is the very beginning. The lie hell tells in Genesis. He's the father of lies. At the end of the story, Revelations 20, how is he still, how has he attacked the church? He's still doing it with lies. And the devil that deceived them, the devil that deceived them, the devil that deceived them, I'm emphasizing this, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever. How does hell attack your family? Through a lie. How does hell attack your faith? Through a lie. How does hell attack the church? Through a lie. This isn't new. This is as old as the story of God's interaction with mankind. From the beginning, Genesis, to the end, Revelations 20. Hell is attacking with a lie. And so when God says he will work in your life, hell comes along and says God won't work. When God says you will be delivered, hell comes along and says you won't be delivered. And this contest of truth versus a lie is worked out where? In our hearts, in our mind. This is the battlefield. Now, let me go deeper in this and show that to you from a little bit different perspective. Next page. Spirits, you all should know this. You all, if you've served the Lord a few years, you should be able to teach this. Spirits do not have physical power over you unless you submit to them. This is what it means to uh, experience demon possession. Somewhere, somebody submitted to the demonic, and now they are possessed by it. This is uh, the reality that the spirit does not have physical power over you. Now, I'm going to read two passages of scripture. Both of them refer to angels who did not stay in the realm of the spirit, but transgressed in the realm of the flesh. If this was allowed, then spirits would have physical power over you. We're in some deep waters here. I hope you guys will will uh, appreciate uh, the deep waters we're about to dive into. If Demonic forces could come into the physical and exercise physical power in the manner of someone breaking in your house, a criminal. Um, That would be a different type of spiritual reality than what we are living in. That has happened. And the Lord said it would not stand. Jude chapter number one, verse number six. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, God has reserved in everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of the great day. There were angels in the story of the progressive revelation of God to humanity, in the story of creation, sin, fall. In that story, there were angels 
who t- went out of their domain and acted in the realm of the flesh. Do you see? And the Lord said, that will not be allowed. And those angels are not ro- moving upon the face of the earth. They have been placed in a different holding cell because they will not be allowed to act in the realm of the flesh. Second Peter 2, chapter number 4. Here's our second witness. There's more than this, but this is, uh, I, I, you guys know I like to use a second witness. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them deep into hell, placing them in change of darkness to be held for judgment. He's not referring to all the angels or or all the fallen angels. He's not referring to all the demons. There were demons that moved among the population during when Jesus walked the earth, but not all of them. Some of them were held in chains for a day of judgment. Why? They did not keep their proper domain. So if demons cannot trespass into the domain of the flesh, if a demon, in spite of whatever Hollywood movie you've watched that got that, that scared the fire out of you, <laughs> a demon cannot express himself in a physical way to overpower you or force you. This is not allowed by God. How then does hell attack you? How does a demon attack your family? How does a demon attack the church? How does a demon work against the kingdom of God? They do it through lies. They do not act, but spirits speak. If you don't remember anything else I say, I need you to remember that. Spirits speak. Wait a minute, you might ask, but doesn't the Holy Spirit speak to us? Absolutely. That's what the Holy Spirit does to us and for us. Let me read 1 Timothy 4, starting at verse number 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy. How are they going to attack? Speaking lies, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And now Timothy doesn't want you just to add whatever you want. He's going to tell you exactly what that church in that moment is facing. The two great um, uh, attacks of apostasy in that time, you've heard me teach this, uh, was the rise of Judaism that Christians had to keep Jewish law. They were not free. They had to keep Jewish law. And secondly, Gnosticism, that Christ was not real flesh and blood and did not really die, but was a type of manifestation or theophany. Those were the two great attacks. And so what Timothy does, he doesn't just say, every time somebody doesn't agree with you and they're mad, they'll quote this, latter times, depart from the faith. (laughs) Um, You can't just quote this whenever you want to. I know know if you you care about rightly dividing the word of God, um, Paul is going to say, he's going to explain in this letter to Timothy, he's going to tell what he's talking about, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Um, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. He is speaking against the rise of Judaism that's splitting the church. And they're saying you can't just, they're saying Jesus isn't enough. You have to keep the law of Moses. And he is backing up the apostle Peter. And Peter had saw the sheet come down from heaven in the book of Acts. And he said, this is unclean. And the Lord says, whoa, trigger. <laughs> the Lord didn't say, whoa, trigger, but you get the idea. <laughs> he said, do not call unclean what I have 
cleansed. Okay, so Paul is agreeing with Peter, and he's speaking against the Judaizers who are trying to get people to part, depart from the faith, which is that you are complete in Jesus Christ. But I explain that because it's helpful to see that Paul is saying, I'm not saying this in my opinion. The Holy Spirit has spoke to me. The Holy Spirit has spoke clearly to me. Yes, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. How does God influence you? He speaks to you. How does God influence your family? He speaks to you and through you. How does God bless the church? He speaks to you. He speaks through you. Do you see what I'm saying? Spirits speak and you are the battlefield of mind, heart, and spirit where you decide what voice you're going to listen to. If you want to listen to the lie, it is going to be that the result of the lie works out in your life. But if you will listen to truth, you will be set free by the truth. This is so deep. It goes on and on and on. This is why when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, the sign is that you speak with another tongue. Do you see? Spirits speak. And the sign is that tongue. Uh, I believe it was Jeremiah who said the tongue no man can tame. What does the Holy Spirit do? He speaks through you. It's the same thing that was said to the apostles. When you're before your accusers, don't be afraid. I will put the words in your mouth. Spirits speak. So we think we grieve the Holy Spirit by what we do, but we actually grieve the Holy Spirit by what we say. You see, we act out of our will, but we speak out of our spirit. We act out of our will but we speak out of our spirit and words are the tools of spiritual warfare. Words are the tools of the spiritual realm. This is why almost everything the Christian does involves speaking. So what do we do? We confess, we repent, we pray, we praise, we declare, we invoke, we implore, we worship we sing. What's the common denominator of all of them? With your mouth, you praise him. With your mouth, you confess. With your mouth, you repent. With your mouth, you pray, praise, declare, rebuke, invoke, implore, worship. It's with your mouth. We speak with another tongue, showing our words have been transformed by God moving within us. How then do we grieve the Holy Spirit? We grieve the Holy Spirit, not with what we do. We act out of our will, but we speak out of our spirit. And when our voice echoes and amplifies the voice of hell, it breaks God's heart. We grieve the Holy Spirit when this happens. Our words reveal our spiritual maturity. Uh, here in Ephesians chapter number four, let me give you some more context. Backing up uh, to verse 15, we read earlier at uh, like 21 or something. Now we're at verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. One more scripture, first John four chapter number one, beloved, do not believe every spirit, 
but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. When we use our voice to join the sound of doubt, criticism, fear, gossip, we reveal our immaturity, we grieve the Holy Spirit, and we wound others. The power of our words our spirit is spiritually significant. Our words do not manifest reality, but our words shape reality. Our words do not manifest reality, but our words label reality. So the power of our words can be a burden to our spirit or a blessing to our spirit. The power of our words can stir up hatred and violence. We've all seen that happen. The power of our words can exacerbate and create wounds. The power of our words can be like a, uh, a, a, a wounding instrument. And in spiritual warfare, what is that with which we both attack and defend? It is the sword. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> our words can be like that. Words can build up. They can be life-giving Scriptures like Proverbs 18 and 21, Ephesians 4 and 29, Romans 10, 14, 15. Of all the creatures God made, only humans have the ability to communicate through spoken word. And the power to use words is what makes us more than just uh, animal in the field. We express, we define, we create, and the power of words is a unique and powerful gift of God. Proverbs 18 and 21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Are we using words? Are we using language to build people up or tear them down? You see, hell always used language to hurt others. This is why gossip is so damaging. This is why talking about other people hurts so much when they find out. We can exalt or we can destroy. Are we being filled? Are our words create an environment where uh, we're filled with hate or filled with love? Is our language communicate bitterness or blessing, complaining or compliments, lust or love, victory or defeat? It's all in the power of our tongue. And it is so important, a biblical principle, that we are told, <laughs> we are going to give an account before the Lord of everything we say. What kingdom did we support with our words? Matthew 12, 36, I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken, for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. I hope this in some way is striking home the seriousness of it and the power of it in our lives. Jesus reminds us that the words we speak are actually the overflow of our heart. And Jesus says to Pharisees in Matthew 12, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Christianity is unique because we claim that our hearts have been transformed by the power of God. 
if that does not show in our language and in our tongue, um, uh, we're deceiving ourselves. Before we were saved, we were spiritually dead, Ephesians 2. And people who are dead in trespasses and sins, Paul will explain in Romans 3.13, their tongue is an, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. I wish Paul would tell us how he really feels about this subject. Um, He actually is joined by James. I want you all to hear this, and I want you to be able to say it to anybody. The harshest rebuke in the word of God against anything we can do is when we use our tongue to hurt others, to promote the lie, to echo the lie, to attack, to wound, to cause division, to cause strife. There is no subject that gets any more godly anger than this one right here. And it is this subject where the Holy Ghost can be grieved in our life. Proverbs 13 to three, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. This is James. James is pretty straightforward on this too. If anyone thinks he is religious, but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I'm glad that you, you know, uh, testified nine times, but hear me. If you can't control your tongue, there's something wrong. First Peter three and 10 for who does, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. James, back to James. James feels strongly on this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. By who? By God. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. In other words, James is saying the hardest thing for any of us to do is to control our tongue, the battle of what our spirit projects into the world. And if we can win that battle, everything else seems like it's pretty easy. James continues, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. This is why not everyone should be teachers, James is saying. He's talking to the church at Jerusalem where everybody thinks they know better than James. Everybody knows what the church in uh, in Jerusalem should be doing. And so everybody's just talking about this, talking about that. And James is saying, look, if you guys were in charge, you would blow this thing up. That's basically what James is saying. If we gave you the microphone, you would set this whole thing on fire because you cannot even control your tongue in little things. So how can you be trusted to control your tongue in any other area? This is how we grieve the Holy Spirit. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Colossians 4 and 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. All right. 
I have uh, done uh, as fine a job as I know how to do. <laughs> and so I am going to unmute the room here and we are going to we are going to give some time for for uh, for questions. Um, and so you should be able to actually speak now. I have not looked yet at the uh, questions that have typed in. I may have been moving so fast um, that I did not give you time for questions. And so um, I am going to, uh, for a real quick, um, deal with some um, uh, questions that I, that I jotted down um, earlier and give you a little bit of time uh, to talk about. Um, how then can we use our speech to help other people we understand it's easy to understand how our speech can hurt other people right um but uh how can we use our speech to bless uh other people let's say that you have uh, someone in your life that isn't serving god they're living in sin um, you can speak rebuke and there is moments let's be honest when rebuke is exactly what they need and they're in a place to receive it. But if they're not in a place to receive it, what you're going to do is you're going to harm your trust factor between them and they're going to uh, reject you. OK, so how do you speak faith over uh, other people? Well, it's actually uh, as simple as you might think. Uh, you just have to make yourself do it. Um, I will give you an example. I have a friend who's an unbeliever and um, I all the time tell him he's a better Christian than he thinks he is. I say that to him. I say, I'll tease him. I'm like, you're a better Christian than you think you are. And why am I doing that? Well, I have in my own way, that's me speaking faith over him. You see what I'm saying? Um, if you're exposed to somebody who is hurting, you need to learn how to say, I don't know how the Lord will work all this out in your life, but I believe a day will come when you will look back at this moment and you'll see how God has brought me through it. You speak faith over them. Uh, this is a, um, uh, uh, Beverly, thank you. That's a great question. Satan is so good at deception and has been doing it successfully. What is the best way to guard against being deceived as most who are deceived don't know it? You are 100% right. The first requirement of deception is that you don't know you're deceived. You think you are speaking the truth. How do we, how do we guard against it? Okay, this is uh, a whole separate Bible study in itself. Uh, and the Bible has a ton of good things to say on this. Um, but I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version, okay? Um, all deception in some regard is based on vanity. Eve in the garden is lured in by the promise of something that was never available to her. She was not going to become like God. She was only going to simp she was only going to change her role with God. Okay? Lucifer promised her something that was so appealing to her vanity. Whenever we find ourselves enjoying some element of our heart where we we feel really good about ourselves, right by the door there is the demon waits. 
the devil waits right beside the door of our vanity. And so I believe the most, the, the, the most, the safest, most common way to avoid being deceived is to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and not get drawn into, uh, let me say that differently, not get easily drawn into opinions about people over which you have no jurisdiction, comments over families that you have no influence or input, criticism of people that uh, there's no, uh, there's, there's no, I'll give you an example. Let's say that um, you're in a small group, okay? And you don't like the small group leader. Maybe at first you did, but you decided that Krispy Kreme donuts should be served. We all know the Bible says, thou shalt serve Krispy Kreme when thou comest together. Uh, But they showed up with Dunkin' Donuts, okay? So, what is the difference between the person who is holding on to their humility and the person who is holding on to vanity? Okay. Is the, the vain person will criticize and attack, criticize and attack, and they'll create this counter, this counter, this kind of counter attack against the small group. This is, this will be how it happens. And they'll start trying to recruit people in the small group, to join them against the small group leader. This is all vanity. Um, They're welcome to start their own small group. Do you see what I'm saying? But they don't want to do that. What they want to do is criticize. They don't want to lead. They want to criticize. 90% of the people who criticize don't want to lead. And if you look at their life, you'll see that they don't lead, but they want to criticize. And so, if they had just humbled themselves just a little bit, they, they, they would have not been so quick to say, you're out of the scripture. You understand what I'm saying? I think for me, the I think this is why the Lord hates a haughty look. Um, this is why I think the Lord clashed so much with the Pharisees. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He says, you guys put yourself in the seat of Moses. When, when, did, when did you become equal with Moses? You didn't think Moses knew how to write the law, so you wrote a better law. Um, so I think the number one for me, and um, I, I will, this is something that you've piqued my interest and now I'll be thinking about it uh, and I'll probably talk about it next Wednesday night, maybe, or at least address it. Um, the number one thing for me is to humble myself. If I don't like what someone's doing, I don't make an enemy out of them. If I don't want to do it, I won't do it, but I don't attack them. I don't criticize them. I don't create a counter club against them. You see what I'm saying? Because the, the first necessity of deception is vanity. And you will n- almost never find deception where it's not built upon a foundation of uh, vanity. Um, and so uh, that I don't know if that completely answers. I'll try to get back on, to, on, on with that. Um, we humble ourselves. We go to the word of God. We apply the word of God to us. We go to prayer. We apply prayer to us. You see what I'm saying? Um, Prayer is not about fixing other people. Prayer is about fixing us. Fasting is not about forcing other people. It's about changing us, do you see? Um, And so that is a foundational element um, in our lives. Uh, The Guerrera clan, uh, which is a large clump of lovely people. (laughs) 
your message, your message makes me think that's why the serpent was so harshly judged. Um, uh, only one in the garden that spoke and he used that ability for deception instead of praise. That's great. I wish I would have thought of that. I could have totally taken it and not, and not given you any credit before it. You're right. The serpent spoke because um, he becomes a symbol of the fall of Satan. That's the, the role of the, of the serpent in this context. And so um, it is a, it is that fall um, of the, uh, of, of Lucifer who once was a worshiper, but he then changed his song. And instead of worshiping God, he worshiped himself. Instead of exalting God, he exalted himself and he fell. And uh, you can see vanity in his life Vanity leads to what? Deception. See, thank God that works. If it wouldn't have worked, then I would have had to go back and reevaluate my answer, Beverly. Um, and so let's see, other questions, uh, other, uh, what role, that's a great question, Don. Um, what role should the word of God play in addressing uh, uh, deception? Well, the word of God is the antithesis of deception. The word of God is the opposite uh, the word of God is anti-deception. And if we keep, if we go back to the word of God, like for example, uh, they say this, they say that, they say that. What does the word of God say? When we go back to the word of God, it is as though we, it, it clarifies the issue. It's like it cuts through the Gordian knot of everyone's opinion. Whenever, so you guys have heard me say this, but I find it very helpful. Whenever I have an issue that I am wrestling with, I go and I and, and the and the computer uh, computerized Bibles makes this very easy. Um, I will print out or call up everything the Bible has to say on the subject, and I'll start reading at verse the, the first verse on that's that's that comes up. I will read every single thing the Bible has to say on the subject, and then I will try to rightly divide it. This is history. It's of this season, say Judges. This is poetry. It is part of the worship complex of the Tabernacle of David, but it also speaks prophetically of a future to come. This is Old Testament prophecy. They're looking forward. This is New Testament teaching. They're looking backward. And I rightly divide it. The, the word of God is anti-deception. And so the word of God uh, I'll change your question from what role should the word of God play in addressing deception? And I'll say it this way. What role doesn't the word of God play in addressing deception? The word of God is the answer. Adana, I see your question um, as far as is grieving the Holy Spirit the unpardonable sin? No, it is not. Um, uh, as I said at the very beginning, uh, the unpardonable sin is something that God knows because he knows the heart. Uh, I could never know that for someone else because I do not know their heart. And um, you, you, you should be suspicious of somebody who claims to know somebody else's heart because there's a solid chance that they are uh, deceived in vain. <laughs> God knows the heart. God does not see as we see. Man looks on the outward appearance. God sees the heart. So uh, the unpardonable sin is something to do with our hearts relative to the working of the spirit that God alone knows. However, we can do three things mentioned in the Bible. I may get into this next week or not, just depending. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. That is when, remember, spirits speak. And that's when our voice 
echoes the spirits of evil. It grieves the Holy Spirit, wounds the church, causes division. And this is why the apostle says to mark those that cause division, because it is to echo the voice of of uh, uh, destruction. It, it, it's it, a spirit speak rather than what God is saying. Remember, the spirit speaks expressly. The spirits speak. Um, and so and so uh, we can grieve the Holy Ghost. We can resist the Holy Ghost. Another passage of the New Testament. And thirdly, this isn't in my notes. This is just from memory. So I'll probably try to <clears throat> deal with this better later on. And the final one is we can quench the Holy Spirit. So resisting and quenching are very, very similar. Both cases, it's not when... Uh, so growing up, I thought quenching the Holy Spirit was when you felt like running the aisles and then you didn't run. Um, and that was fine for a young person. Uh, but that's that's not what quenching the Spirit is. Um, again, how do we know? How do we learn? We, we look at everything the Bible has to say on the subject. We don't just start spinning things out. That's what people, that's what unserious Bible students do. If we want to be serious, we, we, we want to, we want to be, <laughs> we want to take everything the Bible has to say. The Lord, the Holy Spirit is producing something in you. The Holy Spirit is leading you. It's convicting you. It is speaking through you. It is giving you strength. It is giving you confidence. Uh, I taught a lesson a few years back. Uh, I believe it was seven things the Holy Spirit does biblically. And I gave you a scripture for every one of them. Um, it's producing something in you. Um, it is producing fruit in you. Do you see something is happening, but you can stop it. You can quench it. So when it convicts you, you do it anyway. You quench the spirit. When it gives you confidence to speak, you decide to be silent. That's quenching the spirit. Now, you know, back to the young man, I, you know, I thought I should run the aisles and I didn't. I quenched the spirit. Uh, maybe, but, you know, worship is not one of the seven things that the, the spirit is changing you. Worship is your acknowledgement. That is your giving to God. It is that they remember in the New Testament, we model the tabernacle of David. Um, and we do a lot of what we do is imaged on that. It's not necessarily what we have a description of them doing in the New Testament. We image on that. They did some of that, but there's a lot in the uh, in in the, the tabernacle of David that we do that you'll never find mentioned in the New Testament church. We worship God. We pour out our God. We our heart to God. Yes, we could quench that, and we we never want to quench that. Um, and so, however, really, if you want to be fair to all everything the Bible has to say, when you stop the fruit of the spirit. What is the spirit producing in you? What is it doing? When you stop that, um, that is quenching uh, the spirit. Uh, so yes, um, God hates a lying tongue. Could hating and grieving be possibly correlated? Yes. You'll find uh, the same, you'll find in the Old Testament, the language is hate and the New Testament, the language is greed. <laughs> um, and so, yes, I think there is a correlation there. Um, uh, uh, and so that is, uh, maybe I'd have to do a word study on that, um, and, and, and print out every scripture the Bible says about something God hates and then print out every scripture the Bible says of, of, of the spirit or the Lord being grieved. Uh, one story I didn't put in my notes for time's sake, but I, 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 I think it's so powerful. Let me throw it in real quick. Um, and that is the short description of the Bible in the book of John, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? 
He came late. Lazarus had died. He tells them he'll live again. They're struggling to believe him. And they say, oh, we know that in another life, he'll live. That's not what Jesus is looking for. He's saying that you might believe as if as if to say, look, I'm here not late. I'm here right on time that you might believe that the power of the son of God might be manifest to you, that you might believe. And they don't believe and they speak their morning and they speak if you had only come and they speak. And what does Jesus do before the miracle? He weeps. I think this is an image of the grief. If anybody was supposed to get it, it was these folks. If anybody was supposed to see that he was the son of God, it was these folks. And they're saying the same thing that people who have no faith are saying. Oh, yeah, maybe sometime in the future. But in the here and now, we grieve the heart of God um, when we echo and speak um, of this world, of the flesh of hell, et cetera, et cetera. I think I've said that enough. Any last questions before we uh, we pray together? All right. Um, I guess that's a. I guess that's uh, enough. Enough uh, uh, for tonight. I've used up my time, uh, but I. I feel. I feel that this is such a necessary and important. Uh, subject for us to get right. Uh, to get it wrong is to be um, a child of a lie. To get it wrong is to echo the child, the, the children of the lie, uh, to echo the lies of hell. Um, we want, well, hold that thought. I just threw my mouse off on the floor. Uh, what we want to do is do what the apostle says here, Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only as is at only such as is good for building up as fit the, fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. How are we doing on giving grace to people? Don't judge yourself by your friends. Judge yourself by the people you don't like. How good are you at giving grace to the people you don't like? Build them up. Don't just build up your friends. Even the heathen do that. The people who you don't get along with, are you giving them grace? Uh, you need to give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all, here's the five negative emotions of our wrong relations with others. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would let your word live in our heart. We ask that you in some way would let these, these truths um, be more than a type of, um, you know, uh, revered writing uh, that we occasionally reference, but we keep out of our lives, Lord. Save us from that. Let us take these words and put them in our heart. And when we find ourselves wanting to speak the lie, when we find ourselves wanting to communicate uh, this negative, destructive comment, that hurts and wounds and limits others. Save us from that, Lord. If we're if we if we're exposed to people who that's all they do, they breathe out 
threatenings and slanderings and always trying in some way to um, to divide or criticize. Lord, help us in our spirit to mark them and pray that their hearts would be changed. Mark them so they don't cause harm, but then pray that their hearts would be softened, softened and that they would see through the deception of their own vanity and they would learn to control their tongue as the single most important testimony that any of us can give when we claim to have had our heart transformed. We need you, Lord. I need you. Our church needs you. Use us to demonstrate and glorify your name in this community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I love you all. I appreciate you. Have a great evening. And uh, we will see you Sunday. It's going to be a great weekend. Bye. Bye, weather girl. Good night. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Have a good night. So long. Good night. Good night. God bless you. Love you guys. Bye bye. Good night, folks. Good night. This is This is I hope no one tried to speak to me while I had my sound completely turned off because I didn't hear anything if anybody tried to speak to me. Nah. I said bye, Pastor. Oh, <laughs> bye, darlings. <laughs> Take care, Rev. Right. Bye bye. Blessings upon you. All right. Yeah. Bye bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us. Thank you.